here in the power of Christ we stand. If you have your Bible, please open it to James chapter 1. Do not forsake her, and she will keep you. Love her, and she will guard you. Prize her highly, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. For the gain her is better than than gain from silver, and her profit is better than gold. She is more precious than jewels. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and her paths are peace. She's a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold fast are called blessed. Who is she? Wisdom, do you know her? Do you have it? Blessed is the one who finds wisdom, the one who gets understanding. This morning, this this is what we're going to talk about. The kind of wisdom the Father wants his beloved children to have. So if you have your Bible, open it to James 1, beginning in verse 5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is, double, he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let's pray. Father, we desperately need your spirit to move. I know sometimes this this type of prayer can seem generic, but Lord, if the spirit doesn't move, nothing gets done. So that's our source of power. He is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. He is our counselor. And so we need him. All the time. Not just some of the time. But daily. We need his presence to be in our life. We need to be sensitive to his leading. Particularly when we come to your word. To the preaching of your word. We need him to take your truth and apply it to all of our hearts. and, And even my heart, Lord. I need it. I need it. So we pray you down and ask that you will move in this place at this time. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Last week we saw James deal with faith and trial. Today he's going to deal with faith and wisdom. James has told us that our faith will encounter trials in this life. Our faith will be tested. These testing of our faith will produce in us a steadfastness that that leads to Christian character, that leads to maturity. 
But James knows something else is needed if we're going to let staff fastness have its full effect. He knows that at some point in your walk, he knows at some point in, in your journey, you're going to come face to face with a trial that's going to really test you. At some point, he knows that you're going to need wisdom in dealing with the trials of life and things that you face in life. He knows you're going to need a certain kind of wisdom. The only the wisdom that comes from the Father, not the world. Our faith needs wisdom. Our faith needs to pray for wisdom. If any of you lack wisdom, James says, with this statement, he, he assumes that some of us do lack wisdom in the midst of trial. Or we don't apply it. To lack it means you are destitute of something that is necessary. And according to James, what is necessary for believers is wisdom in the midst of trial. Do you have it in the midst of trial? Now, I'm talking about when life is easy or when life is good, but in the midst of trial, do you have this wisdom that James is talking about? And wisdom is not just being a sponge where you just soak, suck up knowledge and, and just consume knowledge, but wisdom is you putting your knowledge into practice. That's wisdom. You are applying what you know. And for James, it's you applying wisdom to the trials that you're going in. It's helping you to handle trials. One Christian says wisdom is the right use of knowledge. That's wisdom. It's applying rightly what you know in the midst of difficult times and even everyday life. Wisdom, it makes you clear-sighted and realistic in the way you see life. In other words, you will embrace the fact that life has two faces. There are going to be good times, and there are going to be bad times. That's life for everybody, no matter who you are. One of my favorite authors, J.I. Packer, he says, the effect of God's wisdom is to make you more humble, more joyful, more godly, more quick-sighted as to his will, and more resolute in doing of his will. And less trouble when we are at the, at the dark and painful things of which our life in this fallen world is full of. Become more like Christ. So if you lack wisdom today, then ask God for it. This is, this is a command. This is what James is commanding us to do. If you lack wisdom, then ask God for it. He wants us to have a faith that prays for wisdom, that the Holy Spirit produce a wisdom in you and empower you to apply it to your life. This is you not just coming one time, but continuously ongoing coming to God in humility and dependence, asking him to give you the wisdom that is necessary for the trial that you are going through at this moment. Always coming back to the throne. This is you acknowledging where your help comes from. Where does your help come from? From the Lord. Not from another place. Where do you run when you face trial? And what's your thing? We all have our thing that we run to. What's yours? You ain't got to say it out loud, so I ain't going to put you on blast. So. But you know. 
We all have a place we run to. Now, we, if we're in Sunday school, of course, we're going to say Jesus, right? But I'm talking about re- being real. Where do you go when you face trial? Who do you turn to for help? What actions do you take when trials come in your life? Believers are to run to Christ. Our only soul is our only comfort in our distress. And you run to him first by praying to him. Lord, I need wisdom to deal with this. Praying that through his spirit he empower you to stand firm. Even though you may be in pain. And even though you may be hurting. If to be honest, there would be times in your life when you probably can't even say those words. When you can't even pray. Because the trial is so painful. You will feel powerless to move. And when those times come, this is what I want you to say. I want you to say, Lord, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. Sometimes that's the only thing you can say. Well, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to fix it. I don't know what to say. I can't. My child is sick. I don't know what to do, but my eyes, Lord, my heart is trusting in you. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. He is your first responder. And his number should be on the first number on your speed dial. And it's you getting on your knees for him to move. Proverbs 3 says, in all your ways, including your trials, acknowledge him. And he'll do what? Make your path straight. Do not lean on your own understanding. Do not lean on your own understanding. Don't turn into a pagan in the midst of trial. Don't turn into an atheist in the midst of trial. Run to the throne. Only help comes from him. You see, wisdom, this is not something that you create yourself. It's a gift from God. Let him ask God who graciously, who generously give to all without reproach. Do you remember what I said last week about the Lord and our trials? He himself handles our trials faultlessly and sovereignly. He oversees us through them. Do you believe that? Faultlessly and sovereignly. And he sees us through them. The wisdom he gives you, the wisdom you should pray for, is one of the ways he shepherds you through the trial to maturity. In his character, he is generous, graceful, merciful, and faithful. James wants us to understand that that your heavenly father would give you this wisdom without hesitation, without pause, without reservation. For us now, when someone asks for stuff, we're like, huh? We we reserve, but James is saying, not with our Father. He would not be reserved. He would give it without ill will. What do you mean by that, Alex? He would not shame you. He would not disgrace you by your repeated coming to him for wisdom. He'll give it to you. Well, he, he may say his grace is sufficient for you. His power is made perfect in your weakness. But he would not shame you. But he probably would tell you that. To me, wisdom from God is, is not a blueprint. 
This is what we want. We want a blueprint. It's not a 12-step program. It's not a quick fish solution to trial, but it's him empowering you to take baby steps of faith to walk through the valley of your trial. On with a godly confidence and assurance that you're not alone in the midst of it. It's you exercising Christ's likeness in the midst of trial. His peace, his humility, his love, and even gratitude. Him giving you the strength to stand firm, to let steadfastness have its full effect in your life. So you have to pray for that type of wisdom in the midst of trial. Pray for it. I sent an email out this week about my grandmother who was just diagnosed with cancer, breast cancer. And all of us, even myself, I'm worried and I'm concerned for my grandmother. And I called her on Thursday. And she was same old grandma. <laughs> Strong, confident, hold on to her faith. She was not worried. She's not in despair, not blaming God. But she was trusting him still. She said, I'm not concerned, Alex. Don't worry about grandma. Grandma's going to be just fine. Just have your church pray for me, baby. I said, I will. I will. You see, she was expecting the Lord to move. My grandma got years on. She's 71 years old. So she has years of seeing him be faithful to her. And so she's in this new trial at 71. She realized Jesus didn't abandon me here. And at 71 with breast cancer, he's not going to abandon me now. So she's respecting him, relying on her faith. Wisdom into practice from her experience of God in her life. Verse 6, when you pray, you got to pray in faith. Ask God in faith, which means expect him to move. Have confidence and trust in him. This is an ongoing confidence. The faith here is not talking about that first saving faith you have when you first come to Christ. This is faith you have after you have faith in Christ and saving faith. It's you continuing to believe that he is going to do it. That he will answer in his own timing. Christians say there's a continuing confidence in the identity and nature of God. Do you believe that God is for you? Do you believe it? Or do you Believe it now, but when you leave here, you're going to live like a pagan in unbelief. Which is it? You have to believe that he will remain true to his word and to his promises without doubt. James says, if we ask in faith without doubting. What does that mean? Doubt means to question the truth of something. To feel uncertain about something. To disbelieve something. To distrust something. To have a lack of conviction. I consider it to be unbelief. That's, that's what doubt is. It's unbelief. Unbelief and doubting God's character and who he is. You don't trust him. This is what James is saying here. When you doubt like this, you do not believe in God's character. You don't believe he's going to do what he said he's going to do. And to doubt God's character can also imply a person is unwilling to trust God with their life. That's what one Christian says. 
You don't believe that he, he says who he, you don't believe who he claims to be. Ask yourself this question. Will you trust him with your life if you question that person's character? Parents, will you leave your kids with a babysitter who has questionable character? Will you? You won't. So how can you trust a God whose character you doubt? Who you think is wishy-washy? Who you think is a little flaky? Who you think is unstable? You won't trust him. You won't trust him. Listen to what James says to those who doubt. For the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. He is double-minded and unstable in all his ways. The picture he paints here is that the believer who's, who doubts is, is, is driven and, and tossed about by life, by the trials of life. And the believer who doubts is, is not steadfast, but is easily shaken and moved. In other words, you waver. As a friend of mine says, doubt is the root, wavering is the fruit. To waver means to be unstable and unreliable, to be undecided, to falter between opinions. When you doubt God's character, your allegiance to him is half-hearted. And your devotion to him is not characterized by faith, but by circumstances. When circumstances are good, they mean Jesus is good. When circumstances are bad, they mean Jesus ain't good. That's not faith. That's circumstantial living. You let your circumstances dictate the way you see God and not his word. There's a big difference. Circumstances cannot be the dictator. His truth, his word has to be. And when we doubt, we waver between trusting him and trusting self. Depending on him, being independent of him. Belief, unbelief. You're double-minded, unstable in all your ways. Another author says, these are people who are unwilling to let go of the world and to truly follow Christ, torn between sin and obedience, reluctant to let go of the pleasures of this world for the sake of discipleship. We're the waves in the sea, been tossed and driven by life, circumstances, situations, and trials. They become the dictators, not our faith. On Wednesday, a friend of mine, Rosemary, came and did a great concert, Shekinah and Glory. And then during the concert, they both shared testimonies, basically of God's faithfulness in their life. And I knew a lot about Rosemary's testimony, and she shared a little bit about her, her oldest son who who has been battling cancer. He, has four, he had four occurrences of cancer. And you can imagine what she went through in her faith. That's trial. You can hurt me, but when my kids are going through something and you can't fix it as a parent, that test is your faith. It will. Nothing will test your faith as a parent when your child is sick and you can't fix it. What are you going to do? She shared it. She was, she was scared, but you know what? She said, couldn't give in to the fear. I had to believe that the Lord would move. That's what got her through that. The only thing that got her through that was her faith. 
She couldn't live in the unbelief. She couldn't let the fear be the dictator. The Lord moved. See, he moved. And that's what we have to do. We, ha- we can't let go of what we know to be true. That's when you got to run to it. Hold firm to it. In the midst of those things. What do you think is the one major doubt many believers have about God in their life? There is one. And it's a very, very important one. We doubt his fatherhood. All of our problems with God flows from that. And if you've got a bad earthly father, then you, I know you have issues with that term. Fatherhood of God flows from that concept. What do you make of the fact that, that God is your father? Does it touch you? Or is it just some abstract description of God that means really nothing? You see, we have reduced the gospel to just a pathway to heaven, but you know what? It's much more than that. The gospel is about the reconciliation of a relationship that was broken in Genesis 3. It's much more than just a ticket to heaven. It's simple people being brought back into right relationship with their creator, through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what it is. And you have that relationship now. You don't wait. You don't have to get. Heaven is to come. You can be in a relationship with him now. A real relationship. Like I have a relationship with Waikita and my kids. I have that same relationship with Jesus. And so can you. If you don't know him. A relationship. And when you pray wisdom, you pray that the Father, you get, give you wisdom to see him as Father in the midst of your trial. In the midst of your trial. Do you see him that way? You can be honest with yourself. Do you see him that way? He's a good father. And what do you mean by that, Alex? He sees the depth of your heart and he loves you the same. That's what I mean by father. He sees the depth of your heart, and he loves you the same. Do you believe it? If you don't believe it, say, Jesus, help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. In his book, Knowing God, Packer has an awesome quote about the fatherhood of God. I love this quote. Listen to these words. You sum up the whole New Testament teaching in a single phrase. If you speak of it as a revelation of the fatherhood of the Holy Creator. In the same way, you sum up the whole New Testament Testament religion if you describe it as the knowledge of God as one's Holy Father. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child, having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship, prayers, his whole outlook on life, it means he does not understand Christianity very well at all. For everything that Christ taught, everything that makes the New Testament new, even better than the old, everything that is distinctively Christian as opposed to merely Jewish, is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. God 
is the Christian. Father is the Christian name for God. And if you don't understand that, then you're going to have a hard time in trials in your life. Let us pray. I thank you, Lord, that you're a father. That you're not just any father, but you're a good father. A good daddy. And I don't know what all that means all the time, but Lord, I need to know it. To live in it. To come back to it when I forget about it. Help us, Spirit, to really grasp the fatherhood of God in this life. What it means to be his child, his son and daughter. To be in his presence, Lord. And not have to worry about him casting us out. That, he, that he, he's not an a, a, a angry daddy. He's not a mean dad. He's not a, a dad who withholds blessings. He's not a dad who, who, who is controlling and, and abusive, demeaning. But no, he's good. Even when he disciplines us, he, he disciplines us in love because he cares for us. Heal us from our unbiblical views of your fatherhood because we all have them. And let us see you as you truly are, our dad who danced over us with shouts of joy, our dad who will always have us, our dad who sees the depths of our heart, and yet he loves us to save. In Christ's name I pray.